the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to The Advocate with your host, Nick Phillips. And now, here's your host, Nick Phillips. Good evening, Cleveland. Nick Phillips with you with another edition of The Advocate. And uh, to all the mothers out there, happy Mother's Day. Uh, As I told my wife today, keep in mind, not only is it Mother's Day, but without us men around, they wouldn't be mothers. So keep that in mind. So happy Mother's Day to everyone to celebrate life as a whole here. So thank you for being with us tonight. And with us tonight, we have uh, Nan Baker, who's also a mother. Yes. Nan, thank you for joining us in the studio tonight here on Mother's Day. Thank you. It's always a pleasure to come back. And yes, a mother of three children, all grown, and I'm actually grandmother. So it seems to be... uh, You seem way too young to be a grandmother. Well, thank you very much. (laughs) Thank you. But uh, life life goes on, and like I mentioned, we shall be uh, celebrating life on a day like today. Yes. But uh, Nan is a council member of the Cuyahoga County Council, and we've had Nan on for years. We followed Nan through the state legislature and on the county council, yeah. and we haven't really talked to Nan about Nan. <laughs> uh, and uh, after the primary elections and uh, everything else that's been going on with covid we can take a deep breath, and uh, let's find out a, a little bit about Nan tonight. Nan, you're you're a nice person. Why are you involved in politics? And really, how, did, I, how did you get involved in this? Yeah, I'm not used to talking about myself. I'm used to well, let's talking take a about few moments here. issues. Go ahead. Yeah, well... Um, and we'll get to the issues. And we'll get to the issues, and the issues never go away. Oh, and by the way, <laughs> let, let's let everyone know that uh, we, we do have the capability of receiving your emails here at The Advocate. So if you would like to email a question uh, for us here, for Nan during uh, the first half hour here, you can email us at theadvocateradio at gmail.com. That's theadvocateradio at gmail.com. And we'll be happy to pass your question on to Nan yes, or comment. Yes, always, uh, always wanted to hear what people have to say. But no, Nan's not, not off the hook. Uh, <laughs> why did you get into politics? And, and well, you know, and, still in it. yeah, and I know we um, we've connected since I served at the Ohio House back in 2009. I was elected in 2008, but before that, really, um, I served on Westlake School Board. That was my first introduction to politics, and it was so funny because when I was elected, someone said to you, "Now," someone said to me, "Now you're a politician." I said, "Really? Yesterday I wasn't, and today I am." But uh, it was quite a journey, uh, starting with school board and served there for four years. And uh, I decided then that uh, I would serve on Westlake City Council. There was a a seat that was open that someone left. So I served on Westlake City Council for nine years. And uh, meanwhile, during all that service, uh, my husband and I had a small business. So we've been in the small business environment for over 37 years. So I take what I have learned and what it takes to be a small business everywhere I go. So whether it's school board, city council, and then finally uh, I was asked to 
consider running for the Ohio House. So I did, and I won. Uh, still, with the small business um, mentality of making sure that we understand the importance of small business. So that's really what got me into politics, is to really bring that to the forefront. Um, I was term limited at the Ohio House. Uh, I chaired the Economic Development Committee for small business because that was Mm -hmm. a good part of my campaign. And uh, after I was term limited, um, I was appointed to the Cuyahoga County Council, which I serve now. Uh, I was unopposed for my first term, and I am now on the ballot for this year, uh, for 2022, for a four-year term. These years roll by. They so, do. What year did, you, if I may ask, did you first start with the school board? 1996. So you've been continuously involved. Yes, there serving. has not been a break. My goodness. Well, yeah. with one foot in business and the other foot into, I, I don't want to say politics, <clears throat> because politics is basically... The, uh, the I think the job of getting elected and getting into these positions. Right. But once you get into the position, you have to work. You do. So you've been working for the public since you started with the school board in the 1990s. It, uh, you know, even in my school board days, there were pretty big issues at the time. We hired a new superintendent and treasurer. We had an operating levy and a, and a uh, capital improvement levy on the ballot. City Council in Westlake, that's a pretty well-run city, and it didn't seem to bring as much uh, as what I've dealt with uh, since I went to the Ohio House, which was always something on the platter with the Ohio House. Mm -hmm. Um, At the time, we were, um, oh my gosh, 18% interest, and the uh, unemployment was over 12%, and in some areas, it was over 20%. In more of the rural areas, we had uh, quite a um, quite a go of it in those years, 2009, 10, 11. Um, in fact, I uh, said to the speaker at the time in 2010 that when we went door-to-door talking with all the neighbors, what we found to be repeated each time was the lack of jobs and the lack of uh, jobs for our young people, and that their kids were leaving Ohio to find jobs. And and parents were worried about losing their jobs or not getting the raises. I remember you sitting here exactly where you are now, yep. saying jobs, jobs, jobs. We use the phrase, it's all about jobs. And uh, at the Ohio House today, when they see me, they say, <laughs> jobs, jobs. Yeah, jobs, jobs, jobs. Well, now we have more jobs than we can fill. It is right a different now. environment today, isn't it? I mean, here we have gone full circle. Um, you know, it's still all about jobs, but it's all about good paying jobs, getting people back to work. Um, a little different environment than what uh, what I found in my early days at the Ohio House. But we still need people in, in jobs that... Uh, certainly are needed mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, in, in all areas, whether it's a restaurant or health care or IT, manufacturing, um, lots of places for people to work. But uh, On the county council, you were appointed for a partial term. You yes. were elected for a full term. So how many years totally does that make you on the county council? Uh, this will be my sixth year. Your sixth year now, and then you're looking for another four. Right. I'll be on the ballot, and then my term would start next year if elected, and that would uh, give me an additional four years. Well, I remember when they just came up with the county 
consul form of government, how yes. novel it was. Yes. And uh, I, I remember looking uh, into the positions to understand what they were all about. Yeah. And I was, uh, geez, I was optimistically looking at the fact that this is a part-time job. <laughs> yeah. And uh, the pay was based on a part-time job. Yeah. Uh, as I mentioned earlier, the, the politics part is getting elected. The other part is doing the job. So how much time do you have to spend, or how would you describe how much time is spent in this part-time job as yeah. a county council? You know, any, anything you do and you do well takes time. And, you know, mm-hmm. a lot of reading, a lot of understanding. Your vote does matter. So, you know, we just went through a couple of years of COVID. So understanding that and connecting with our mayors, making sure they knew how many cases were going on in their city, working with the... Um, health department, a lot was involved just in the last two years. We um, deal with uh, housing and those that are, that are in need of uh, food, uh, shelter, uh, workforce training, all kinds of different um, needs that are out there that you're dealing with every single day and making decisions of how you're going to spend that money. Do you have an office down there? Does each council person have an office? We do have an office um, at the uh, administration building downtown. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't spend a lot of time there. Most of my time is spent in my own home office. I go down there, um, engage in committee. I chair the uh, Human Resources and Appointment uh, Committee, which um, is a pretty busy committee. We typically meet every other week, um, our last committee we just met for two hours. Uh, One of them was on a new tuition program for the county employees because turnover has been, uh, as everywhere else, has been an issue and uh, trying to give an incentive to employees to stay. Um, Do do you get any administrative help? Do you have a secretary or an aide or an assistant? We have uh, one um, assistant. I don't know if I want to call her a secretary, but she manages um, all 11 of us and uh, we do have a staff that helps all 11 of us so it's not anyone that we personally have individually it's so collectively we have people that are help us as a team so it sounds like there's more work than we thought well we're going to take a short break we're talking to Cuyahoga County Council Representative Nan Baker who's uh, finishing up her sixth year in the County Council we're talking to Nan about her experiences and I want to find out how many hours a week you have to put in on this part-time job. Probably more than six hours, I suppose. We're going to take a short break. You're listening to Nick Phillips here on WHK with Nan Baker. We'll be back after these words here on WHK. Don't go away. We'll be right back. And now, back to The Advocate with your host, Nick Phillips. Thank you, Craig, for that, uh, that old WHK theme. I, I don't know how many of you out there remember WHK when it was a top 40 transistor radio radio station. Where that's where I listened to it on a transistor radio. But uh, that's how we knew where all the songs were. And WHK was there. WHK is celebrating its 100th year here in uh, Ohio and in Cleveland. And uh, we're, we're so glad to be part of it. And 
Uh, Nan Baker is with us tonight talking about Nan Baker and her contributions to the political offices that she's held over the years. And we're talking about the Cuyahoga County Council job, which is, in fact, a job. Would you say it's more like a full-time job? I would say yes. I mean, if you do it right, it has to be. And, Mm -hmm. you know, I was thinking during the break, how do I put a number on what you live? Yeah, how many hours a week do you think you do? Right. I mean, I think those that are small business owners understand that. They know that their small business doesn't just shut it down at 5 o'clock. Mm-hmm. It's with you when you go home. It's with you when you take phone calls and you return emails. It's with you when you go back to work. It's with you when you're trying to sleep in the middle of the night. Yeah. I mean, you wake up <laughs> thinking about, yeah, uh, it is, um, you know, easily 40 hours a week, if not more. I mean, mm-hmm. depending on what's going on. When we're th- going through budget cycles, um, just there's just... Uh, you just have to be committed to it. Are they still paying county council members uh, as if it were a part-time job? Uh, well, they still consider it to be part-time, mm-hmm. yes. And even at the Ohio House, uh, that job is considered part-time. But I don't know how, especially when you live a couple hours away, how you can possibly think that's a part-time job <laughs> because you are you need to drive there and stay a few nights a week and uh, prepare for your time going back and well, preparation is a big thing, and it is. Uh, you obviously nobody who's involved in this stuff does it for the money. That's right. Because you're not going to get rich out of this, right? Or even break even, maybe. But uh, let's talk about you know we've been talking to you, oh roughly once a month for years now. Yeah. And uh, the kinds of things we were talking about, we'll try to get an update on, and of course what we've been watching very very closely the last two two and a half years has been the COVID situation now. From my standpoint, it seems we're over a hump. People are relaxed, not wearing masks. But in the news, I hear that the variant, BA2, is starting to rear its ugly head in the east. And how are we doing here in the county? Are you seeing any signs of COVID yet? And is it disruptive? You know, we we, always hear of... of, uh, this one or that one that did re- that did come down with COVID recently, but I think that it has become, um, you know, a virus that we just live with. That um, you recover from it, it doesn't seem to be anything long lasting. Um, we just got an email the other day that we had someone at the county employee came down with COVID, and of course they tell us where he was and. Um, what floor he was on and what day and date he was there. But I think most people now have learned to live with it. And um, I don't hope that we don't ever go back to the days where it was so fearful, where we shut down businesses and people were were fearful even to get together or see family members or have any kind of gatherings. I don't think we're ever going to go back to that. Maybe I'm just an optimist. Um, but I, I and, and with the vaccine, that certainly uh, was very uh, helpful to mostly those that were elderly. To, mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. Well, well, talking about uh, COVID early days yeah. and the frightful images on the news, yes. uh, for example. For me, the most frightful images were when hospitals, like in New York City, had to have semi-trailer refrigerator trucks pulled in for portable morgues because there were so many deaths. And even recently, we just topped one million Mm -hmm. uh, COVID-related deaths. But uh, one of the things I think we might be having now is that 
I think most of us, uh, everyone who wanted them, they have these COVID uh, home test kits Mm -hmm. that uh, if the symptoms are somewhat mild and they test positive, they just uh, quarantine themselves, stay away from people. Right. But the government never knows that that's another COVID test or case. So we really don't know how many COVID cases are out there right now, do we? That that is true. And, you know, I I don't know if that's such a bad thing, if if people test and find that they um, do have COVID and they take the right precautions and quarantine themselves and and persevere through it. Uh, I think that, as as I said earlier, I think that's a a new normal that we're all learning to live with. Mm -hmm. And uh, as long as, you know, it doesn't escalate higher than that, we'll just have to keep an eye on it. But for how many, how long did we and we together on this radio station talk about the number of cases and and how many hospitalizations and um, just unbelievable how it just um, overcame our lives. It it did. It sort of stole a couple of years from us. Yes, it did. Actually, the year 2020, year 2021. Like, does anyone out there remember anything that happened in 2021? <laughs> I mean, only, uh, only the trips they were planning on taking that didn't. I know. And the celebrations <laughs> with their families that they, I know ourselves, we left over Christmas uh, food on the doorsteps and gifts. Instead of visiting, we Zoomed our Christmases because we had family members that got sick over Christmas. Mm-hmm. But, um, but everyone recovered, and hopefully the antibodies that they got uh makes them stronger and um you know we're looking at the rearview mirror right now well as we're moving through spring and into summer yeah. let's hope everyone takes advantage of it and enjoys their friends and their families and that's right all the stuff we missed for the last two years and we do that safely yes <laughs> so yes have and to we, watch all the other issues right and we certainly don't take it for granted how many times do I hear, no matter where I go, oh, it's so nice to see everyone face-to-face. Well, it's nice to see people without masks on. Yeah. You're Nan Baker. Okay. Yeah, now, I, now no, I, I remember. Look like. All right. <laughs> <laughs> oh, very good. Well, you know, one of the fallouts from the whole COVID situation was the federal government putting money out. Uh, the American uh, Rescue Plan right. sort of uh, left some money on the doorstep of Cuyahoga County. How much do we have and what do we doing with it? What are our plans? Right. Well, um, you know, like other counties and uh, some cities, but mostly it's it's county and the state, uh, we received in Cuyahoga County $240 million to be spent over the next two years, and whatever is not spent will be given back. So it is a high-level priority that we figure out the best way to spend these dollars. City of Cleveland, for instance, got $500 million, and so they are also um, trying to figure out the best way to spend these dollars. Um, Right now, we have rolled out a plan, um, things like the um, homeless shelters and um, even the the arts and uh, museums that were really hit hard through covid Many of the struggling small businesses um, that uh, have been hurt by the pandemic, trying to reach out to them, workforce training and trying to get people back to work. And if it's training that they need, we want to make sure that um, we do that. We also put aside $1.8 million to take care of some of the lead that's in many of our homes. Um, 
any home that was built before 1978 is potentially lead infected and uh, needs to be taken care of. Um, Kind of an exciting piece that we're also contributing um, $5 million to is the um, food shelter that um, really escalated in need, especially over this pandemic. And uh, we just want to make sure that they are given what they need, and they're building actually a new facility. It's a $40 million million facility that we're able to help contribute towards. So there are a lot of needs out there, and uh, we are trying to address what we know is needed and spend it correctly. Well, you're very conservative, and you're a watchdog as to what's going on. I am. Uh, do you think that the uh, money is being well spent that's been identified so far, and uh, is it being spent wisely? Uh, you know, so far there hasn't been a lot spent. All the proposals, all the recommendations, things that have been given out in press conferences as to where we think this money might go, all has to go by county council approval. So we have not approved these dollars yet, and that is yet to come. So when we actually get those dollars to um, give our nod, they will be well vetted. And at that point is when the money will be distributed. Can through the county you give this money uh, out to cities directly? Well, um, county council has a share of dollars that we are reaching out to our mayors and asking them, you know, what is it that you need to, to uh, enhance the quality of life for your cities? And we're waiting to get responses back. What a, uh, ironically, what a good position to be in. Uh, I don't think in uh, our political lifetimes we've noticed that we have to use it or lose it uh, too right. often. But uh, with the millions of dollars available, now's the time to sort of get. Jump, I have jump never, ahead. right? I have never seen. Uh, money like this available in the entire time that I've been serving in office. Wow. Well, Cuyahoga County Council Person Nan Baker, thank you so much for joining us, and we'll see you again next month, see what's happening. It'll be a pleasure. Thank you. Thank you for being here. We're going to take a short break. You're listening to Nick Phillips here on WHK, The Advocate. We'll be back after these words, so please don't go away. We'll be right back. Matt Cleveland, Nick Phillips, with you with another segment of The Advocate. In the next two segments, we're going to be talking to Peter Jeddak from Kent State University uh, about May 4th, 1970, because uh, Pete was there and knew some of the people involved and has been in touch with us ever since. Peter, thank you for joining us. Okay, uh, Nick, thank you, and please mention my book, Hippies, <laughs> the novel about Kent State. Don't forget, all right. Yeah, well, let's talk about you for a little bit. Uh, okay. we, we met each other at Kent State. When was that? And what were the circumstances? You were my RA, and I had some great stories yesterday about all the stuff you had to put up with. I can tell you one if you're interested. <laughs> yes, I, I'd like to hear. Because <laughs> uh, I like to say that Kent State changed. I was a freshman in 1967, and by the time the protest started, it went from Animal House to uh, Apocalypse Now, <laughs> the difference is, and when you were there, especially when you were at Animal House, and they were talking about how some guy stole a bowling ball from the local, we had a little bowling alley in the basement of our dorm, 
And uh, he stole a bowling ball, and he turned off all the lights in the dorm, and he ran, he rolled the bowling ball from one end of the dorm to hit your door and put a dent in your door in the middle of the night and scared the heck out of everybody because they'll come running out their doors. What's going on? You know, that's the kind of stuff you had to put up, and uh, that's all. Freshman year was like Animal House, you know. It's amazing people survived that without there being any violent protest or anything like that back in the uh, 1960s, 1966, 67, in that time frame. Um, yeah, it was different. You were, there, you, were, you were at Kent throughout those years, all the way through May 4th, 1970. Right. Um, when we get to the springtime of 1970, where were you living? Well, by then I moved off campus uh, called College Towers, a little apartment off campus. And as, as you're off, off campus, what was the mood of campus, and what were you doing? You were a student yet, right? Yeah, I was a student. You know, that's when the anti-war protests were starting. Like I say, when uh, when it started on the East Coast and West Coast, like Berkeley and Columbia and places like that, and then it came to Kent about a year or two before, maybe the year, maybe my sophomore year, but freshman year, nobody really was really protesting much. And it was still starting to grow. And by the by my junior year of 1970, that's when it really hit the... Uh, when I really hit Kenton, so that's when everything changed, you know. Now, now, are you involved in the protest, or are you an observer, or what, what did you know about the protest in spring of 1970 at Kent? Oh, I was an observer. I went there, I saw most of the major events. You know, there were a lot of events leading up to it, and uh, uh, I was more of an observer. And, you know, and uh, a lot of, I, I like to tell people, 90% of the kids were observers, you know, like me. All this crazy stuff was going on, and we couldn't even understand half of it. You had like hardcore, uh, uh, you know, what we called radicals back then that were really the protesters, but most of everybody else was just kind of going with the flow. And that's kind of what my book was about, how crazy those four days were building up to, you know, it didn't just happen overnight, that this, this shooting and mm-hmm. tragedy. You know, there was a lot going on the three or four days before that to kind of build up to that. You called your book Hippie? Hippies, yeah, because... Uh, you know, I was branded a hippie. I had long hair and a beard, but I didn't consider myself a hippie, you know. But I, I thought hippies were lived in communes in California. But when I came home to Cleveland, you know, where everybody looked at you because nobody in Cleveland had long hair or a beard, I was a hippie, you know. I was a dope smoke and troublemaker and de- demonstrator, you know. <laughs> so that's I got some good stories yesterday about that, how, how, how different we were treated when we went back home after the tragedies. That's kind of sad, though, too. Well, there used to be a lot of demonstrations back at that time. Uh, do you remember one demonstration where it was being promoted as they're going to napalm a dog? Oh yeah, that's in my book. Yeah, that was that was very interesting. Yeah, it was fake. What, what was know, that they, about? Well, they, it was the Students for Democratic Society. They were the, kind of like the protest movement people, and uh, they flyers. People didn't have emails back then. They passed out flyers that some, they were going to napalm a dog on one campus that day. So everybody showed up, and you know, everybody's mad because they said they're going to napalm a dog because. American Air Force is dropping napalm on Vietnamese villages, you know, and they thought this was horrible, and they were, that's the way they were protest. But they didn't have a dog, and uh, it was just all to get the kids riled up, you know, and then they showed up, and they said, now, if you're here to stop a, a poor dog from getting napalm, I mean, how come you're not stopping, you know, innocent people from being na- napalmed in uh, Vietnam? So it was a pretty good protest. They, you know, they tried to do inventive stuff like that. When things are working their way up to uh, the weekend of May 4th. And the weekend of May 4th actually started like on Friday night around, was that May 1st, wasn't it? First, yeah, second, really started, third, and fourth. Right, that was the camp. But what really set it off was April 30th, 
when Nixon said he was going into Cambodia and expanding the war, and that just made all the college, not just Kent, all the whole country went crazy. All the college kids went crazy in the whole country, and there were riots everywhere. Were you around campus for the Friday night when they burned down the ROTC building? Yeah, I was watching a movie. They had a movie in the in the in the, the auditorium. They had a big auditorium. We were watching this funny movie too. It's, it's, uh, put on by the graduate students, and, and we look out the window, and there's the, the and there are two buildings on fire, you know. And they never did figure out who did that. It was, you know, say some radicals did that, but that's where really got the National Guard involved because this was a the Rossi building was the, the symbol of the, the military on campus, you know, and everybody hated the military because, you know, what was happening in Vietnam, you know, Vietnam had more casualties than uh, World War II, just as many. You know, I had my friends out of high school were dying over there, you know, and and people didn't realize that we didn't think we should be over there, you know, and it was just a terrible thing. And the more people, my friends would come back from Vietnam and they'd tell me how what's really going on over there, and we were protesting. But the World War II generation, our parents said, yeah, you, you know, you're supposed to do what we did. You go over there and you do your duty, you know. It wasn't the, it wasn't the, the, the soldier's fault. It was, came from Lyndon Johnson up on top, you know, so it was a totally different world. Now, back in those days, there was a draft, and they ultimately had a lottery number, that kind of thing. But uh, how how did you stack up against the draft? Were you, were you vulnerable for drafting, or, or what happened? Oh, yeah. My, my, was, we had a party in, uh, at my house. That's in my book. I just did my book really good, and my uh, in my hippies book. And we had a party, and we all picked, and you know, we watched TV, and I was the first one to go out, all the guys watching the TV. So my number would have been the, the lowest number, the lowest, the highest. You know, my buddy... At almost the highest. It went by your birthday. You had like 365, the highest you could get. And I had like 60, which was low. He said, anybody under 100, you're probably going to get drafted. From 100 to 200, maybe. You know, it depends on how bad the war goes. So what was your number? 61. I can still remember that. <laughs> so so that meant you were going to go. Right. And that got, I think that Nixon maybe uh, did that to break the... the to, to, to knock the anti-war movement in half because all the people with your high numbers, now they didn't have to worry about going, you know, because there was a lot of self-interest involved. And a lot of the college kids were protesting because as soon as we graduated, we're going to go to Vietnam, you know. So he th- they thought he did that to cut out half the protesters. But, you know, if you had a conscience, you're still out there protesting. I think our, our current generations have no idea what it's like to live in a world or a society that has a lottery that will decide whether or not you're going to be a soldier going to war. Uh, similar to what they're doing, uh, I suppose, in Russia with regard to the con- conscripts that are being drafted into the Russian army and being sent to uh, Ukraine at this point. But oh, yeah, uh, that's of, been going on. A lot of similarity, even going back to World War II here. Oh, yeah, you get drafted. But, uh, you, know, you get drafted, you got to go. You, know, it's, you may not believe in it, but that's your duty, you know. Did you hang around campus all weekend after the fire? Oh, yeah. I saw I saw them all. Like I said, I was an observer. I am a journalist. I'm interested in all that stuff. I, 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 was, I watched most everything. I wasn't really a participant very often. Did you go on campus and over near the, the fire itself? Oh, yeah. After it was the next day. We watched it that night. I watched the firemen. The firemen tried to put it out, and some of the protesters uh, cut the hoses so that they, they couldn't put it out, you know, and and then they kind of felt threatened, and they didn't have a police. There was no police protection, so they said, "Heck, with it, we're just going to leave." And we were talking about that yesterday. Some of the guys were talking about that. You know, I'm a fireman too, a retired fireman. And I could see the same thing. Hey, that's our job to put it out. But if we're not going to fight a mob at the same time, you know, let it burn. You know, so you can only do what you can do. 
Oh, my. Well, we're, uh, we're talking to Pete Jeddak, a uh, former Kent State student. We were talking about May 4th, 1970, 52 years ago this year that uh, that happened at Kent State. And it was definitely a, uh, a situation of anarchy that was reigning at that time. And it was dangerous to everyone. We're going to be back uh, in a few moments uh, talking to Pete because we're going to talk about what happened on May 4th and, and what he remembers of it. He wrote a book called Hippies, by the way which uh, documents what happened at Kent State on May 4th, 1970. So we'll be uh, talking about that. And uh, the people that Peter knew were actually involved as victims of the shooting. So we'll take a short break. We'll be back after these words. You're listening to Nick Phillips here on WHK, The Advocate. I'll be right back. Don't go away. Welcome back, Cleveland. Nick Phillips with you with our final segment of The Advocate for tonight. We're talking to Peter Jeddak, former Kent State student who is at May 4th and has actually wrote a book called Hippies about the May 4th experience. But more importantly, uh, he was there uh, on May 4th watching what happened. And actually, Peter, you knew a couple of the students who uh, were actually killed that day. Tell us about that. Well, oh, yeah, Sandy Scheuer was the... the I think she's the poster uh, lady for the whole thing. She's a good friend of mine. I knew Allison Krauss. They were the two girls that got killed. And I knew Allison just from some classes. I didn't know her very well. But I knew Sandy was a buddy of mine. I once heard a story in a plain dealer about her. Uh, she was just walking to class. Well, well, first, yeah, well, Go ahead. Yeah, first off, tell us, tell us about these two students. Uh, were, were they protesters? Were they hippies? Or what were they like? No, no. Well, Allison was more of a little protester. You know, not even... There was kind of even, you could call them a little bit of protesters. They were there on the hill backing up the, you know, there were like about 20 protesters that were really getting in the guard's face and, you know, and throwing rocks at the guard. And the guard was, the National Guard, it was, it was, the thing about May 4th, it wasn't supposed to happen because they weren't supposed to have a rally. It was, a, it was an anti-war protest, and everybody, like I said, was up in the previous segment, was upset because Nixon was expanding the war into Cambodia when he was supposed to be elected them to end the war. So when everybody's going crazy, uh, we had this rally, and they burned down the ROTC building. So the next day, we, this rally was already planned for Monday at noon as a protest. They were actually protesting the National Guard being on campus. They didn't want them on our campus. And so, but they took, it was martial law, so they came and they said, you can't have this protest, you've got to leave. And they were throwing tear gas at us, and some of the people were throwing the tear gas back. And... Uh, and Sandy was actually, she wasn't one of the protesters. Allison was like like a little closer. She was on that side of the hill where she was watching us and everything. But Sandy was just walking to class at the wrong time with her friend. And that's how powerful when they shot later on after the protest was broken up a little bit. Somehow they turned and shot. She was like really far away and she's walking to class with her friend. And I tell her she's like the poster lady for the whole thing. Because uh, here's an innocent girl walking to class with her friend. And she gets killed. How are you going to explain that to her mom, you know? She was a friend of mine, so that's what really hurt me about that. That's about Sandy Scheuer. What, what did Sandy think uh, about the protests that were going on? Because uh, I remember the governor at the time, governor of the state of Ohio, uh, kept the university open, even with the National Guard on, even with all the police on, even with all the protesters. And there were a number of non-student protesters who were on campus. Uh, do you recall that? 
Yeah, there was a, there was a lot of uh, talk about that. If they were really uh, agent provocateurs, and for both sides, there, there was there were you know they they had grand juries investigated this. The president had a commission, special commission about Kent State to investigate. They can they came up with all this different kind of evidence. It was hard to prove either way. But there were there were people from other other colleges there. That they said they were outside agitators, but they also said there were like FBI people that were provoking it from the other side, you know. So it's kind of like the Kennedy assassination, and nothing has really been proven that well either way. I heard a lot of good stories yesterday, but uh, yeah, tell you know, us about that because you, you, you just attended the 2022 uh, commemoration, I suppose you call it, the memorial of the May 4th, 1970 shooting. You were down at Kent. And uh, did you find out anything new? Oh, I found out a ton of new stuff. That was what was so interesting. This one was dedicated to the, the wounded students. We always talk about the four dead students, which is a tragedy. But there were also nine people who were wounded, and their lives were kind of ruined in a lot of ways. And, uh, you know, imagine just taking a bullet. You know, these M1 rifles, like I said, they could shoot for a mile. They were powerful weapons they had. They were left over from World War II. And some of them were real close. But a lot of them, were like Sandy, were pretty far away. And... Uh, yeah, I met like uh, like another person that's really uh, he's the poster boy for the wounded people is Dean Keeler. You know, he's a freshman. He gets shot in the back. He's been in a wheelchair his whole life since then. But he's got the best attitude of anybody you want to talk to. Uh, what, what do you mean, best he, attitude? Uh, he's just he just he's real religious, and he says, "Well, God gave me life." And uh, sorry. And he, he did really great things with his life. He was a county commissioner in Athens County, and he worked for the state of uh, Ohio for the attorney uh-huh. general and stuff like that. But, you know, his life was ruined. He was a freshman. And what do freshmen know about anything? You know, here, first year at college. Where, where was he at when he was shot? Was he in the protest, or was he, like, just around campus? Well, that's kind of weird. He was on, he was, well, everybody was by the protest. They were watching. Like I said, there were, like, a couple thousand kids watching what was going on, you know, and everybody like, active participants, you know. And it, it's kind of a little complicated. We don't have time to talk about it. This one group of the National Guard, they went, uh, the protest was on the commons, the flat part of campus. Then they went up over a hill, and the kids ran away. And then they turned around, and for some reason they fired. There was a lot of controversy if they, they were ordered to fire or not. And, uh, you know, but at that time, kids were kind of thought it was over, you know, because a lot of people thought it was already over. They were walking back to their, their to lunch. You know, it was lunchtime, you know, so... There's pictures in there with kids carrying books, you know. They were in protest, and they were walking to lunch, you know. So I'm not sure, but he was, you know, he's one of the ones that got shot. He was just a freshman. It's terrible. You know, looking back now, I mean, you lived an entire life. You started at Kent with the shootings, and you've been involved with, with this over the years. What uh, advice or warnings do you give to current college students? Uh, they, they don't seem to be as as active or aggressive in protests as they were back in the 60s and 70s. Um, what, what do you recommend to modern-day students? Well, stick to your principles. That's the main thing, you know. But the reason they're not protesting is not, there's not that Vietnam War. You know, that war came home. Like I said, my friends were getting killed over there from high school, you know. And, and we were going to be the next ones to go. So, you know, it's really you have a lot of self, uh, self, what do you call it, the interest in it, you know. So, uh that Vietnam War was the big, there's, you know, and things aren't as bad anymore, I don't think. You know, there's still a lot of going on with civil rights and all this stuff. But, um, mm-hmm. you know, but I, there's still, you know, that's why I don't think it's so, the pro, I don't think anyone's really protesting very much anymore. And 
Cause I think, you know, considering compared to the way it was back then, you know, when your life was on the line, it's not as, uh, it's not as, oh, it was, yeah. well, going, going back a little footnote here, um, your, your draft number was 60. Were you ever drafted? No, actually, I hate to say how I got lucky. I got lucky. I had rheumatic fever when I was in sixth grade, and uh, I hated it at the time. It almost killed me. I had a heart murmur, and when I went through the physical, they said, you got a heart murmur, you can't be drafted, you know. I, didn't, I got the doctor wrote me a letter, and like I said, they said, you sent a letter to the draft board. They never called me back, so I never called them, you know. So, uh, well, I yeah, don't take a sleeping life. dog, right? Yeah. So well, very good. And, uh <laughs> Well, that's good to know. A heart murmur or not, you're still with us all these years later, 52 years after. Ken oh, State. yeah. Very, I, I got very, lucky. Yeah. I got, I'm very lucky. I'm blessed like the other. Gene So tell me, what, what are you up to now? You're still writing. You wrote that book called Hippies. Uh, yeah. And what, what else is? What else are you doing? Well, after that, I wrote a book called The West Tech Terrorist about high school. Now I'm writing the one about grade school, about growing up in West Park of Cleveland, Ohio. Because uh, I'm going backward in time. I went from college to high school, and now I'm working on one about grade school and uh, that era. You know, it was a great time to grow up in the 1950s. I think we were really blessed to be the baby boomers growing up in the 1950s. Yeah, we were the baby boomers. We were the cutting edge of the, the massive explosion of children uh, all over the place. Everything was being built for us. Everything was brand new. Right, we were right. all overcrowded. Everywhere we went, overcrowded with kids. Oh, yeah, that's the thing. I, um, I, I, it's unbelievable. <laughs> so where are you now? Are you retired or about to be retired? Or what, well, I, I, yeah, like plans? I said, I retired. I retired from the fire department. I've worked there 32 years. I'm just trying to write. I, got a, I actually got two or three other books I like to write. I'm trying to knock them out. That's uh, my, like my goal is to keep writing as long as I can. I really appreciate it. I guess it's a good life. Oh, my goodness. Well, you know, that you're uh, an author and a Kent State graduate and a former firefighter. Thank you so, so very much. Uh, we'll be looking uh, for these books to see what happens, and I appreciate your comments about Kent State and the coincidence that two of the four students murdered and killed that day at Kent State. You happen to know them. I, I think that's a mm. re remarkable uh, coincidence and a, an unfortunate coincidence, not a positive one. Oh, yeah, it was terrible. But, and uh, like I said, the, the thing yesterday was all about the wounded students. Really paid much attention to the wounded students, but when you tell people there's also nine wounded, they said nine wounded, and we never heard that, you know. And they got little markers. Oh, yeah. there. Now, they put the markers on campus. The big thing they put markers there, and it showed how far away a lot of these people were from the guard when they got wounded, you know. So they, they have well, little it's markers. Worth a, it's worth a trip to go down to Kent State and see this. So. Anyway, Pete Jettick, thank you so much for joining us tonight. Okay, and the Kent State uh, May 4th Visitor Center also. It's right there. It's, it's really good, uh, well-documented everything. We'll okay, thank you, sir. And, and, we'll look, and we'll look for your name around and about. Thank you, Nick. Okay, thank you very much. And thank you for listening tonight. We'll be back next week, same time, same station. So between now and then, have a healthy, safe, and happy week. Good night. And I sat and watched the Zanzibar sunset Sat and drank my fresh mint tea With nothing to do until morning And only my mind for company Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn. 
deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.